We all good? Yeah. These fucking pillows. I know, it was weird. Oh, it's a confusing setup. I don't know what to do. I never did. I never, think you, I never thought you'd become a pillow person. At the top of your feet, it's the last podcast you'll ever Enjoy your bed and It's Higher Fidelity, uh, the music discussion podcast hosted by me, you, and him. Uh, this is episode three of three, the parting shot of the opening salvo of the HFU, the Higher Fidelity universe, which is contained within the larger extended ZAMU, the Zen Arcade <laughs> Music Universe, which also contains the CMNU, the Cro-Magnon universe. Uh, this is Earth 109, the timeline where this band does really well. Uh, Earth 109X just takes longer to go through Kells. Nice. Uh, which is for those familiar with the Calvin bus routes. After this, we're only going to be a monthly fixture in your life. So for the people who've been listening for the last hour and a half, we applaud your poor timekeeping. Uh, it's us, Zen Arcade. The music equivalent of a penknife. Multifaceted, but full of tools. Nice. What, what, what's, what's happened? What has happened? Hello, everybody. They're just establishing my voice here in the mix. Uh, Establish yourself. Oh, oh, hello. Yeah, no, Ross here. Yeah, this, yeah. Established. So we're all affirmative. Um, so you were recording with Classic Yellow this week. I was recording with Classic Yellow. Fine, a fine, fine band. That's that's my that's my best summation uh, <laughs> of Classic Yellow. No, uh, great bunch of lads, great musicians, great song. We recorded earlier on Darkland Studio in Dublin. Uh, very successful. You said Dublin there, like Dublin. Dublin, because it is Moyen. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, we uh, recorded during the week, uh, and we also took a little venture, you and me, Pete, down to Strad Valley. We did, yeah. We were um, inducted into the pantheon of artists that, that makes up Stefan Murphy's Athletes of Soul. We had rehearsal during the week, which was very rare for Steph to be that prepared. Um, even with that, we didn't run through a single song the whole way. It was, we do a version, of course, and go, Grant, okay, we know that, that's fine. And it was me, Steph, uh, Dan Fitzpatrick on guitar, and Chris on keys. Uh, Shout out to all the lads. Uh, on the boys. Uh, so we went down then yesterday to Strad Valley, got arrived on the site maybe an hour before we were due to play. You hadn't a clue of the set. Hadn't a notion. Couldn't find the ba- Steph at all to even ask him what's the crack with the set. I wrote out the set list then and then it was just assumed because I had brought the pen and paper to write out the set that I was now the musical director mm. and throughout the gig Steph would turn to me asking for the keys. You were Robbie Robertson. And I remember saying as well you were going to be on the sax obviously and you're saying oh we'll bring a clip on mic no no if you don't don't bring a clip on one because then you can move away from what you don't know move away from the mic from what you don't I know. Can, I can fake it. And then the sound man was like I've got a clip on mic you'll be grand and we went oh <laughs> crap. <laughs> but we walked on and not having you didn't know any of the songs even like Steph had to say to turn around to Gals the drummer and go okay so it goes like this on the gig on oh the yeah it, it was uh, the songs were being arranged as they were being performed on stage and it went very well a good crowd and all that it was, it was, it was a great crowd and you're heading back down tomorrow and I had to play with Lilac and Classic Yellow Lilac and Classic Yellow so some some uh, wistful sort of psych pop with Classic Yellow and some full day of death or drop with Lilac right. that's my day tomorrow Ross you did a shoot with Classic Yellow recently oh yes yeah How did that um, go? it went very well I mean I think they were a bit new to a shoot apart from our boy but uh, no it was very good very successful and I, I'm quite proud of the, the outcome. Like it was just strange to see you in a like authoritarian position. Mm. Say, whenever we've done photos before, you've been there with us being like, oh, we're getting poked and prodded and pushed around by a photographer, whereas you were actually the person Yeah, doing it felt it weird, because um, I know well how, how annoying it is when someone's telling you where to stand and what to do. Mm. But you kind of find yourself doing it by accident, you know, saying, you know, move here. And 
But I thought you did really well because like, it, when we used to do shoots, we'd say to a photographer, we've got this idea, and he'd go, it's not on the shot, no. And then, whereas you were great at going, like, okay, I have my idea for my shots, and then like, Frank or someone come up and go, Wait, what about this? Can we try this? And you go, yeah, great, let's do it. No, it worked really well. Yeah. The locations were great as well. It was just I, I was just there as a total hangers on. It was great to see you actually work, like, working as well and, and do work on something that I'd never seen you be in mm. charge of the before. Artists of work. You know, it was, yeah. it was a new the experience. Very fun. Very fun. Uh, I went to America for two weeks as well. Yeah. Which was great. I uh, went, went camping in Yosemite, went to the Hollywood Cemetery and dislocated my shoulder. <laughs> the three biggies. And what else? What else happened? No. Not much. No. <laughs> Grant, okay, should we jump into our first section? Let's plough headlong. Yahoo! It's never mind the fuzz box. Stumped. That's a real stumper altogether. Uh, I don't know. What I was getting kind of. I was getting some sixties emergency beat vibes from the but the first bit wasn't yeah. at all. I don't know. I don't know. Um, absolutely. I was just getting the girl can't help it vibes. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> or that uh, is it that Gwen Stefani? Somebody says a song with the girl can't help it sample in it. No, I don't know. It was the outdoor type by Lemonheads. Good great. Of course it was. <laughs> of course it was. That was good. It was. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It, it also could have been Oyoko as well, just as easily. Yes, I now yeah. see exactly what you're doing there. Yeah. I know the the bit, do it, but it, but I had it in the kind of a some other guy. You were doing it minor. I was thinking seventh. <laughs> what was going on there? That was yeah. the major confusion. So that, so that, 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 that was this. It. Uh, it's one of that and being around are my two. <laughs> big dando ditties that I really really loved mm. and I was in <laughs> Pete's, a, Pete's dando ditties <laughs> I was in uh, Yosemite as I say we were all camping and I was mm. not in thermal stuff at all which mm. I was heavily advised to bring being circled by bears being circled by bears in my red and blue pinstripe pyjamas and creepers playing outdoor type a song about not being able to go camping effectively so I suited it perfectly this is Ross now is it? ready? yes <laughs> the better sounding riff Hey Bulldog or Paperback Writer I'm gonna say PW PW I think so as yeah. well no PW has a bet on tone and yeah. bad, what about you they both they both rock quite a sizable yeah. badassery but yeah Paperback Writer for sound also we're not debating it at all no, <laughs> no, no we're, <laughs> we're coming to agreement but, yeah. no I think it's close though it's uh, very yeah. close. people when they mention the Beatles Hey Bulldog does need to be blasted at the loudest yeah. possible volume from the nearest possible playable device <laughs> Sonic to, to really to really understand what people are talking about because nobody gets it and everybody's wrong it's my firm belief on, <laughs> on, the, world, on the world's opinion of the Beatles again paperback writer as well I think the riff sounds the best 
on the re-intro like halfway through when the drums are full yeah. with the riff as well yeah, yeah, the combination no. of drums and something that we do when we record here I hate doing riffs or doing like intro bits over drums because it's so hard to get guitar and drums without anything in between to sound good mm. but Paper Grider does that so well they do it really well and uh, with the Ringo's uh, drums were at their most popping yeah. at that t- that era the little revolver pepper snare crack era definitely I mean uh, Abbey Road towel is good too but I mean, yeah, again, we like the towels, but, you know, I like them for cleaning my face, not on my drums. Exactly. My go. Your go. I know. What song is that? That's a uh, thirty-six inches high, is it? No, <gasps> no, it's not. No, no, no. Do, oh, you're do, wrong. We, do we do we do we that point or not? No, right, no. Right, right, man. Right I'm just, song. I'm just getting, I'm just getting the, the no, name of the song. I know, I know. Uh, a be... big kick. Yes. Saints crap. Yeah. Like that. I was never gonna get that ever. Really? <laughs> I was trying to render it in a way that made it a bit mysterious as well. Not yeah. the most intelligible. Yeah. Something I noticed as well is that all of us go over there to where the mic is and crouch slash bend over in an altogether very unflattering position <laughs> for you're no com- reason You're completely either. right. You're completely right. I noticed when you were doing it, I was going, I did that too and Ross did it. We, absolutely, we, we absolutely miserably degrade ourselves <laughs> every time we do that. the entertainment of our close friends. Yeah. There you go. That was Nevermind the Buzzcock. Buzzcock. <laughs> <laughs> Yippee ki yay, this is Sonic Seconds. Other buckets. <laughs> Rock on. This is Sonic Seconds, where we each of us play two or three seconds from a track that we just think sounds brilliant. Mm. Who wants to go first? I'll go first for the banter. Um, my Sonic Seconds is from uh, this song. It's Do Ya by ELO. ELO. Yeah. Right, okay. Well, sore, now, sore point. Sore, yeah, sore I know. point. This is I a, thought my shoulder was sore. Well, it's. Uh, I picked this because uh, um, the move version doesn't get the snare hit in. It doesn't It doesn't do it justice. It doesn't do the intro justice. Mm. The intro, it does the intro all the justice it needs to do. Um, and I just love the the snare. It's either it's either him with the two sticks or it's a slap back. A kind of a fast delay. We yeah. should explain. So ELO and the Move do covers of or do covers do versions of Do Ya. Yeah. And myself and Evan believe that the Move version is far superior. We correctly believe that the Move version is far <laughs> superior. And Ross uh, is deluded into thinking that the ELO version is far superior. What, the what? snare might be better. The snare might uh, be better, but the guitar slide down in the Move version. Oh no. No, Brexit. No, and you know the funny thing is, is that you knew, when you say I think it's far superior, I genuinely think it's far superior, like miles. So you miles. agree with us? Yeah, no, I agree with yeah. you in that. What makes what makes this song as well? Just what makes this unique as well is that the move kind of mutated into ELO for all the all the folks at home, and the song written by Jeff Lynne when he was in the move, done as the move, then he redid it in ELO. So mm. it's 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 the original. It's both. They're both the original version. 
but one came first. No, the original version came first. I know the original yeah. version came first, but they're both by the man who wrote the song. Yeah, and I, it's, it's 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 a, it's a sticky point because all three of us love the song an mm. awful lot. Yeah, I do remember it. it this track soundtracking our last Japanese tour. It did. Uh, it's, I'm sorry, yeah. I hate to disagree. What 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 it what it made what it made lack in the intro it makes up for in the outro. I think that the outro makes the move version for me with the galloping time signature change drums and uh, Roy Woods. Proud exclamation! It's in this version too. Look out, out baby! There's, there's a, a plane coming. Okay, that one's not in it. Yeah. But, um, but I think Jeff Lynne's vocal take is far superior on this version. I think the production is far superior. Mm-hmm. Again, production's a myth. Um, <laughs> Hashtag we believe Pete. But yeah, that's that's my take. A valid take. A valid one that I won't take on board. We'll we'll agree to think that I'm class. Up you go. Well, yeah. So uh, this is where I was going to make arrive at the point that nobody gets the Beatles and everyone's wrong and they need to just re- rethink things or get on with their lives because this is a Good Morning, Good Morning uh, of Sgt. Pepper, uh, a song that doesn't ever really get much of a shout. One of my favourite Lennon tracks, if not of the era, period. Probably a top Beatle track of mine from Pure Production Standpoint alone. Here we go. Now that rocks my world. Yeah. It, it, it excites all my senses. It, it undoes my buttons. It undoes my buttons. It activates me. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's what it does. And that bit in particular, the kind of fuzzed out guitar, it's like the revolver tax man. Uh, she said, she said, guitar sound mm. brought on, which is used a lot in Pepper. I don't like call it Pepper. And it crops up way more in Sergeant Pepper than anybody ever mentions. Mm. No, it. I was going to say that I would never think of there being like, Great driven guitar on yeah. Pepper on, on Sergeant Pepper's <laughs> Lonely Heart Club Band by I the never, Beatles. I never think of having a guitar Yeah, no, you'd never think of that, and no. uh, it's never really given any credit as a guitar album because I suppose that wasn't the main innovation of it. There was lots of other innovative things that obviously overshadow it. But as a good rock and fuzz guitar album, it uh, kicks a lot of hole. It's a bulk in La Stretto exactly, which is Spanish for "Have you got a water buffalo?" Exactly. <laughs> All right, so this section sang an Amen Corner song to me and mm. begged, begged me to bend it and shape it. And so I did. Now, this Sonic Second, it comes from a song, mm. but it's a song in a film. Okay. And you, the pair of you have done very well so far in bringing up the bands and artists that have had a massive impact on your life so far. Mm-hmm. The Who and Roy Wood, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Feelgood, Fountains Wayne, Pornographers, all that. I'm pulling out the big pap of Pete's Passions. <laughs> and it's Spider-Man 3. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of dialogue to Spider-Man 3. Now, at this point in the film... Uh, Peter is on his symbiotic revenge trip. He's been corrupted by the alien goo. Mm-hmm. He's just after <laughs> ass-blasting Harry Osborne in the face. He's got Eddie Brock fired. Uh, he's got his job at the Bugle. He's getting uncomfortably close with Betty Brandt and spends his time dancing through New York. It's a great it's the film. Most, it's the most hectic film ever made. <laughs> Featuring such amazing quotes as, You're trash, Brock. I'm going to put some dirt in your eye. Mm-hmm. You want forgiveness? Get religion and find us some shade. Hot legs. Now, <laughs> oh, wow. This, that one's at, good. At mm. the time... This was the most expensive film ever made. 2007, folks. What a year. Wow. But now this scene in particular, Peter takes Gwen Stacy to a club that Mary Jane Watson is a singing waitress at in an attempt to make her jealous. Apropos of not much at all. Motivations (laughs) unclear on Peter and the film's part. Remember this bit well. Now, Mary Jane Watson gets up to sing the song Fever. Right? Just as she's about to put lip to mic, some... sexy piano just comes out of absolutely nowhere right? yes and she looks over and Peter's at the piano twingling away on the piano and he instructs the band to go double time 
vaults over the piano, is then shown careening through the bar, stealing people's drinks and the show, then he dances with a chair. Now, depending on who you ask, this is either the, the sad idea of Hollywood interference with an indie filmmaker's vision, mm. or the dizzying pinnacle that the cinematic medium had always threatened to reach, but never had the sack to do so, until a pissed off Raimi said, fuck this sky high, <laughs> resulting in... <laughs> The finger snap, the crotch thrust, mm. the MCR hair, it has it all. <laughs> and one huge question. Yeah. And now I did my research. I went through the comics, the cartoons, all the TV shows, all the various interpretations of Spider-Man, and even the novelizations of these films. Mm. And not, <laughs> not once does it mention Peter Parker ever playing piano. Omitted even from the novel of the movie. Not once does it mention him ever learning to play the piano, right? So what conclusion are we have to come to, Raimi? That intergalactic licorice and yeah. pure boner fury will turn you into Andrea Previn or or that the symbiote somehow crashed to earth with a working knowledge of Little Willie John's back catalogue yeah. I don't think so yeah. Dr. Kurt Connors says that the symbiote uh, amplifies characteristics of its host including anger aggression and a crotch throbbing command at the piano apparently yeah. many questions no answers is it the second time the symbiote has got to earth and that's what the deal has been with like Jerry Lewis and Little Richard the whole time they just have symbiotes yes. <laughs> has left me disappointed despite it also being a, a, an amazing trilogy again the fact that that happened in the biggest Hollywood film adjusted for inflation the <laughs> biggest film of all time at that time that 20 minutes happened mm-hmm. the get on up him dancing through doing this hitting up them honeys Eating the cookies, talking to Kirk Connors on the phone, going, yeah. next man with some nuts and things like that to, to, to oh, Dickovich's daughter. Forgot about that. Oh. This film has just come crashing in on top of me again after years. It's all come I watched back. it when it's, I was in America. smothering me right now. No, when I, was in, when I was in Austin there last week, I was watching it, and it, it is a sublime bit of cinema. It's, it's such a product of its time. Yeah. The mid 2000s, anything could happen. Anything. And it did. Yeah. This film was made. And that concludes this week's Sonic. So, oh, you, you did the intro, you did the outro. And this concludes. <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, no, yeah, that was the conclusion of Sonic Seconds. Sonic Seconds! Buy a hat and hold on to it. <laughs> it's Ross Farley's Acoustic Corner! With a voice so soft, it'll put you to sleep. And a face that makes you want to beat your knees. It's Ross Farley's Acoustic That he's lovingly prepared and knows inside out, I'm sure. Mm. Do you want headphones for this? Um, uh, nah, well, I'm okay. Don't use the fuzz mic, you absolute insane asylum escapee. Looking for a plan. Oh. I've, I've done this, practiced this song, um, twice. I need to look at the lyrics on my phone. I think Dylan had lyrics when he was at Altamont. Yeah.
I seem to think a lot about the things that I forgot to do. Is a Jackson Brown song. Oh, that fountains he's away. real. <laughs> yeah. Fountains <laughs> away. Don't be silly, Ross. Don't just think it's Jackson Brown. I thought he was a character from Peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, he he is a, a mighty back catalogue. Baby got back catalogue. <laughs> Fuck that hat away. That was Ross Farley's acoustic corner. Ross Farley's acoustic corner. Brilliant. And we're gonna go now into Doctor When, Doctor Where, Doctor What. Doctor Why. Doctor When, Doctor Where, Doctor What, Doctor Why. This is a brand new section called Doctor When, Doctor Where, Doctor What, Doctor Why, where we get our resident Doctor Who expert Evan Walsh to just tell us about a barmy episode of Doctor Who, of which I'm assured there are many. There are several. Uh, several. And we're going to start with the four establishing questions and then you're going to give us like a brief synopsis of yes. what goes down yeah. in yeah. Uh, the Doctor's land. The Hooniverse. Yeah. I, I, I re- no, I re- the Hooniverse I regret to tell you people call it. I was I'm, say, I'm embarrassed to say people refer to it as. And I was going to say our resident Hoovian as well, but I decided for the sake of our friendship that I wouldn't <laughs> you, accuse you of being a Hoovian. You decided I'm not a dick. <laughs> so... so. So was said three times there. Doctor When. Uh, January to February 1973 was broadcast for the first time. Doctor Where. Uh, several places. Uh, a 1920s uh, steamboat, uh, the planet of the Drash Eggs, and the planet Interminer in the far future. Doctor What? Uh, to escape the miniscope. 
as we all want to. Mm. Doctor Why. So to foil the use of a uh, forbidden outlawed alien tech and uh, prevent a revolt on the planet. Okay. What makes this barmy? Okay, so uh, this story, this is a John Pertwee story. A little disclaimer for the folks at home. Uh, when I say, when I, when I espouse my Doctor Who fandom, I'm really talking classic Who. I'm talking 60s, 70s, 80s. Big time nerd, Doctor Who. You recently renounced your liking of any of New Who. I did. I was I did. surprised to hear. No, I did. I think I'm going to make the official statement because most people are going to be thinking I'm, I'm coming at it. From, I'm, a, I'm a David Tennant. I'm a Matt Smith kind of gal. And I, I, I was a David Tennant man at the time, uh, you know, childhood, you know, great times, still look at look back at it with all the fondness of youth, all the summer's evenings spent inside watching David Tennant Doctor Who, long summer's evenings, uh, I look back at it with all that fondness, but I have officially decided I've outgrown that as a fan, and I think... Even the Eccleston first series? No, no, great, no, no. Great, but that's alright. No, Chris Rexon, I don't have to pummel your teeth in. Yeah, no, no, Chris Ferguson can uh, do whatever he likes, I think he's, there's nothing he can do... It, yeah, he's established that he will do whatever he likes. He's uh, he's all good in my book. But to any new Who fans, my job, this section is going to be put the Matt Smith lunchbox down, stop, <laughs> st- stop kissing that picture of David Tennant, and let's get into some real Doctor Who. I'm talking 63 to 89. I'm talking classic Who. I'm talking Carnival of Monsters, 1973, John Pertwee, third Doctor. Here comes the here comes the goofy plot. So uh, the TARDIS materialises uh, in the, what, appear, what appears to be a kind of a, an ocean liner in the 20s I said a steamboat earlier on I should have had an ocean liner uh, the doctor uh, John Pertwee and his uh, companion Joe they are immediately captured as stowaways on this ocean liner interrogated uh, everyone's wondering how the hell did these people get on the ship and um, lots of chasing around ensues you know uh, mistaken identity all that stuff happens but after uh, a sequence of events where they're running around uh, they suddenly realise everyone has suddenly started acting as if they have no idea who they are, and the whole sequence starts playing out again, like it's on some sort of a time-locked loop, and they figure out, hang on a minute, yeah, we're in some sort of... Uh, this is going to be a Bill Murray film. This is going to be a Bill Murray film. Uh, yeah, we're, we're in a kind of a, a 70s sci-fi Groundhog Day, and uh, there's a little kind of portal, secret portal on the ship that no one else seems to be noticing, but they can see. They go through it, they pass through that, they end up on this kind of like barren, desolate alien planet, which is overrun by these huge kind of dragony lizardy creatures that live in the swamps called the Drashigs. That would have been new for Doctor Who for them to actually go to an alien planet as well. They wouldn't have done that an awful lot at that point. In the Pertwee years, no. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're totally right. Am I? You're totally right because uh, the John Pertwee era began with him being exiled to Earth with the Time Lords and being forced to work with the Brigadier and Unit and all that sort of stuff. Budget so, restrictions at the BBC. Yeah, budget restrictions at the BBC, honest to God. And Carnival of Monsters is the first story back in space after the Time Lords lifted up to Dexile for saving them from uh, Omega, the founder of Time Lord Society, nearly coming back uh, from his pocket universe and destroying all of time. I love that. They give him back the TARDIS dematerialization codes and he's back off in space again. Uh, so uh, this is his first adventure. He's, supposed, he's, he's intending to go to the crystal planet Metabilis 3. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes he lands here by accident so we're on the planet of the Drashigs they're being attacked by them and through some sort of series of events it becomes it, it becomes apparent that the reason all these things are coexisting beside each other is that th- th- they're two locations that are part of a huge data bank of time locked uh, events taken from different planets and different galaxies different civilizations different times and all placed inside the miniscope which is a piece of alien technology that the Time Lords sought to destroy and outlawed in the universe because they're like the, obviously the Lords of all time. They destroyed the miniscopes, except this one that has escaped. 
and got itself into the hands of a a kind of a travelling intergalactic vaudevillian showman carnival medicine show man called Vorg. You lost me at Vorg. Yeah. <laughs> uh, called Vorg and his glamorous assistant, they go travelling the galaxy doing their medicine shows, magic tricks, alien style, sci-fi, yeah. sci-fi style. He has a see-through bowler hat. Um, Is it a bowler hat then? Mm. Is it oh, it's see-through, we, not invisible? It's see-through. Oh, okay, no, I, I, I could say I have an yeah, invisible bowler hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one you can see he's wearing a hat, but it's see-through. Um, but that's only a minor detail of his costume. So uh, he's travelling the galaxy doing his shows and he lands on the planet... No, and we figured, yeah, he is on the planet Interminer, and he is, he is facing a tribunal of the elders of the planet Interminer, and they're interrogating him on the grounds that they think he's a spy coming from one of their enemy governments of another planet, and he's going to try and infiltrate them. But he's actually just there, and he's got this miniscope, and he's, like, trying to, you know, uh, kind of... Con- he is a con man. He is trying to, like, swindle them in some way. But in the miniscope is uh, all this illegal alien tech that has all these different pocket universes of these Groundhog Day style moments that are replaying over and over again and the Doctor is trapped inside it mm. and he has to figure out how the hell to get out of there and also simultaneously outside of the miniscope the elders of the planet Interminer uh, a little kind of subgroup of them have a meeting and they're uh, revolutionaries and they want to overthrow the government of Interminer and they think we have just got this kind of swindler medicine show guy has just turned up with his uh, cabinet full of the most dangerous uh, deadliest evil creatures in the universe um, all trapped inside this thing if we could just crack it open and we could get it out we could overthrow the government we could destroy mm-hmm. this planet we could fucking start a huge revolt and destroy the universe basically uh, and so the Doctor has figured out how to foil this plan and destroy the miniscope but first of all he has to get out of the miniscope so he has to kind of get out of all these universes that are just repeating themselves over and over again so that's pretty nuts that is that Rick and Morty episode where he has the battery of it as a world within a, a world within yeah. a world within a world yeah, yeah. No, exactly yeah. <laughs> just, yeah all that just, yeah. just like a Rick and Morty episode <laughs> yeah. I okay so you like the Doctor Who theme I love the Doctor Who theme so I much. think they should go back or not go back but just any new releases get rid of that mm. and just put in Back in Time by Hugh Lewis in the news mm. yeah over all of them I'm gonna I think any any time based film should have Back in Time by Hugh Lewis in the news in it yeah if the Doctor Who theme can be put to a different use I'm going to entertain that notion. No, no eradic- eradicate okay. it all. Uh, Thought we could have made it like my theme instead. <laughs> <laughs> that was Doctor When, Doctor Where, Doctor What, Doctor Why, because we said so. <laughs> New section! This is Sid Didn't Die For This. for this where each of us bring up an instance where a band we like did something that we didn't really approve of that we found kind of disappointing uh, and we all collectively agree that Sid didn't die for that uh, Sid being Sid Vicious mm. uh, hard to know what he died for but it certainly wasn't what we're about to bring up mm. Will I go first? Go for it I'll go first. Shoot from your hip your new hip I like Peter Buck the guitarist from R.E.M. Oh I know where we're going here He's a good buck He's good <laughs> He's some buck He's some buck altogether and if you look at his Wikipedia page the little like um, directory section in little blue box that has yes. the different bits they're, they're like your early life like on our Wikipedia page <laughs> early life so his, his his is split into four sections right early life music 
personal life, and then airline incident. Oh, right? okay. <laughs> and when a quarter of your Wikipedia page is dedicated to an incident, yeah. you know it's a doozy. It does be a doozy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to read this out. Okay. Airline incident. On April 21st, 2001, Buck was aboard a transpolar flight, British Airways number 48, from Seattle to London to play a concert at Trafalgar Square. Now, the next sentence is one of the most divinely constructed sentences I've ever read on the internet. Every, every single comma just opens another door into a massive warehouse of insanity. <laughs> Witnesses alleged that Bug exhibited various bizarre behaviours on the flight, comma, including shoving a CD into a drinks trolley thinking it was the CD player, <laughs> comma, tearing up the yellow card warning notice handed to him by the flight crew, comma, claiming, I am OREM, comma, and being involved... I made the BBC! I am a golden god. And then, final comma, being involved in a struggle over a yoghurt cup with two flight attendants which resulted in the cup exploding. Wow. Full stop. Buck's actions led to two charges of common assault on the flight attendants, one charge of being drunk on a plane and one charge of damaging British Airways cutlery and crockery. Wow. He was, he'd already been arrested. They have to go after him on the forks. <laughs> Now, at the ensuing trial in London, Buck's defence claimed that the moderate amount of wine he had drunk had reacted adversely with the brand of sleeping pill he was taking and rendered him unable to control his actions. The prosecution argued that he was simply intoxicated from supposedly consuming 15 glasses of wine. Wow. So he, he was sort of going, I my prescription, I'm the victim here. And they said, no, 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 sir, you were mullered. <laughs> Right. After the trial, which included testimony from Bono, the lead singer of Irish Rock Band U2, Buck was cleared on the grounds of non-insane automatism, right? <laughs> now, the fact that they mentioned Bono specifically suggests that he was like instrumental in getting Buck off, as if yeah. he like inhabits the Marissa Tomei from My Cousin Vinny character. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's disappointing, and also a delight to read every time I read it. <laughs> I love it. And I still love Peter Buck, he's a great player. Yeah. I love that little My Cousin Vinny shout-out as well. Sid didn't, didn't die, die for, for that. that. Um, my one is um, House Martin's drummer Hugh Whittaker attacked uh, a business. What was it? A business. He attacked associate. a business. Yeah, a business associate. He went into it. He went into a business. Is that business Ross's? Yeah. He, 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 I'm, his, I'm his researcher. <laughs> <laughs> he attacked a business associate with an axe. Hit him on the head. <laughs> with an axe and also post, post House Martin's. We must have. post House Martin's. Yes. Yeah. yeah um, and he was very good in the House Martin's. And his exit was very funny as well. And also. There was, um, what, three counts of arson as well on the, <laughs> on the CV. So, yeah, that was very disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, they set fire to Criminal his... Vita. Oh! <laughs> he either set fire to his, um, his own house three times or he, or he, or he, or he firebombed he fire the, the, ele- the business associate, like, allegedly firebombed his house as well as hitting him on the head with an axe. <laughs> yeah. and, and the man resulted, lived. Resulted, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't kill him. Attempted murder. Yeah. But resulted in, um, in prison time. Six years. Six wow. years. Again, he also uh, needs to be sent to jail for destroying John Bonham with drum sounds. Mm-hmm. Yes. Drum sounds in the House Marins first yes. time in London, then whole four. You get rivals any drum sound. It does. In an extremely uh, random turn of events, in, a, in an opinion largely held by the people in this room, <laughs> Yeah. we do, yeah. Bonham Whitaker, tete a tete, yeah, any day. And who would win in the fight against Hugh Whitaker and John Bonham? Whitaker would destroy him. Yeah, he is he Max. Would, <laughs> it would look like Rambo having gone through Woody's. <laughs> Sid, Sid didn't die, die for, for that. Uh, okay, so my Sid didn't die for this entry uh, is a different one than I actually initially implied I was going to say. Oh. Um, and it's one that is very appropriate to now, and it's 
It's Holly's related. <laughs> it's I'm uh, uh, the Hollies are making their second appearance in this podcast in only three episodes. The Hollies didn't do anything disappointing. Well, oh. they're mm. they're usually gleaming CV. They're gleaming criminal v- vitae. You know what's coming. That's the face of my. I don't know what's coming. <laughs> no, so uh, uh, Graham Nash's replacement in the Hollies. Uh, uh, big Bell Terry. Big Bell Terry. Big Big Terry Sylvester, <laughs> as I've christened him. He's he's a lovely man. I've seen him interviewed many times. He's a very endearing, lovely Liverpoolian sixties man. I've a lot of time for him. He's a better singer than Graham Nash. Terry Sylvester's better than Graham Nash. Changed my mind. Video. Absolutely, yeah. I'm gonna set, set up in public and talk to people. Have rows with about that. Um, I don't think anyone would fight John that. I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who, who here likes Graham? Who anywhere likes Graham Nash? Exactly, yeah. No one. Um, I, uh, I could get into many really angry conversations though with like American men of a certain age. Yeah. I would anyway. <laughs> I would. I do anyway. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I think he's a better singer than Graham Nash. His era isn't as hit filled as Graham Nash's, but he was still. He's a very worthy addition to the canon of Holly's members, yeah. which makes this. Sid didn't die for this tragedy even worse that when the Hollies were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 2010 Long Cool Woman's being played mm. Terry sang Long Cool Woman when Alan Clark wasn't present it was his song on the set when Alan Clark left the band for a year yeah. so he felt like he had some sort of stake in singing that song he took a mic off the singer from the band Train it was not Travis no? no I think it was Train, it was tra- train. I, I, mem- I, remember, I remember it was from Train because I have no idea who that is <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, oh, I thought it was Travis. Yeah, it was Maroon Five and the singer from Train were on stage. That's what Maroon Five. Sorry, okay. yeah, yeah, Maroon yeah. Five, Travis. You get the whole connection there. Totally. So Alan Clark, it's Alan Clark's. Alan Clark has every right to sing that song. He wrote it, and it is his song. But Terry wanted in on the fun because the singer from Train was getting a verse. Terry took a mic on a spur of the moment, made his way onto the stage on a spur of the moment. In uh, a Carlsberg jersey. In, a, in uh, a Man United, wasn't it? Yeah, or maybe Liverpool. It was, He's from Liverpool. It's a red right? jumper. None of us are football fans. We don't know. A, a red a red football jersey. I just know that Carlsberg was the sponsor because that's what I saw on it. Yeah, no, it was sponsored by Carlsberg. He, Terry appeared to be acting in a way that would imply he was also full of Carlsberg <laughs> <laughs> um, in, this, uh, in this particular event. But he took the he took the mic off the singer from Train. He started into singing the second verse of Long Coloma, which Alan Clark had yielded to the front man of Train, who... I would say probably had never heard this song before. No. He was like, I was in this band too, give me a verse. He got about two lines into it. Alan Clark snatched the mic, stopped playing the guitar to snatch the mic mm. from Sylvester's hands to place it back seamlessly into the... It wasn't been, seamless. Well, uh, <laughs> the train man was he. He, he, he. he rose to the occasion. He like ducked in pretty <laughs> train impressively. Train man. Train man. <laughs> Put it back in. Put, put the mic back in Trent Man's hand. <laughs> Scandalous behaviour. Meanwhile, Graham Nash is over there playing the tambourine, like a twat. <laughs> <laughs> like a twat indeed. Yeah. One, two, three. Sid, Sid didn't, didn't die, die for that. that. And that concludes the sections. Sid, Sid didn't, didn't die, die for, for this. Bollocks. Last we off to Have I Got Tunes For You. Yes, 
Have I Got Tunes For You, the section of the show where we uh, recommend an album that we think you'd like to go off and mm-hmm. listen to mm-hmm. uh, if, if you feel like our opinions matter. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, when I was flying over to America, did I tell you I've been on a holiday in America? Has that you come up twice so far on the thing? As far? No, I don't so think so. What? Uh, I was there and uh, Spotify decided to melt its own face and not uh, have all my albums available to me while I was on the plane and the only one that was available was Rock to Russia by the Ramones. Uh, something else I noticed as well is that online and on all their albums the Ramones are listed as Ramones mm. interesting and I actually have noticed that too but forgot until you said surely they're just the Ramones yeah, surely yeah. it sounds better it just feel, I like that band Ramones that has no if ever there was a the band it's the Ramones it's the Ramones it's absolutely uh, but yeah it's yeah. the Ramones in that magazine there shit good grief good god so Anyway, listen to Rock to Russia. We obviously have our history with Rockaway Beach. We, we do. Before Ross's time in the band, that was the song that we chose to be the song we'd audition with uh, to be on the toy show. Mm. They didn't get us on. We weren't ready. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the whole audition in the Joey Ramone stance as well, much like much, Joey you very, would. You very much did. Uh, didn't match him in height. Didn't match him in vocal ability. I matched him in uh, left knee bending. But yeah, listen to the album again. Is it, I and I think a lot of people do, I incorrectly assumed that the Ramones almost exclusively sang about stuff they didn't want to do. Mm. Going down to basements, going out with people, being around with people. I don't want to be around with you, I don't want to go out with you, I don't want to go down to the basement. That's all I thought they did was songs mm. with them telling people what they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. How wrong I was, listening to this album, the, again, the, sub, it's, the music is almost kind of the same, it's the same, it's Johnny Ramone, low, Moss adventure sound, the framework was always the same. Yes. The, 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 the lyrical concepts couldn't vary more Yes. Basically, I would say almost rival the talking heads for tangential subject mm. matter. Mm. Like, on this, uh, you know, you've got uh, songs about the, the footwork of cretins, day, yeah. trips, <laughs> day, day trips to the beach, uh, hanging an X like a, like, like a, like a neck locket, um, you know, cerebellic mutilation, a family actively working to sell and take drugs together, yes. eating refried beans in Queens. And politely asking if you would like to dance. Mm. That's all <laughs> in songs that are under two minutes. The longest track on the album is Sheen is a Punk Rock, which is two minutes and 50 seconds long. Everything else is pushing 150 to 210. Stunning Marvelous. achievements. A fabulous album. Really easy to listen to. Very short. Obviously, the biggies are, are great. Sheen is a Punk Rocker and Rockaway Beach. They're all fantastic. And Locket Love is brilliant. I Don't Care as well has the weirdest back and book. The most ill-advised back and book going as well. The mm-hmm. I Don't Care. That's an incredible... It's very strange. Incre- a valiant attempt at a back and vocal. Who's it even? Is it Tommy Ramone? Is it Dee Dee? Who is it? It doesn't sound like any of them. It sounds like a child. It's t- it's, yeah. It is an absolutely baffling noise made by some absolutely incomprehensible living organism. <laughs> I would say, again, Road to Ruin, End of a Century, and the first one are always lauded as the big, big Ramones albums. I think mm. Rock to Russia uh, is them. Just a- just after the sort of the, the, the nascent visceral attitude of the first album that's like sort of really abrasive and it's really cool and that's great. But you're getting into the really well-written songs with, with, with Rocket to Russia, but before mm. you get into the sort of the really softening of the sound on like Road to Ruin and End of the Century. Mm, it's yeah. also the most unlikely summer album of all mm. time as well. You listen mm. to them go, mm, twisters and the heat. Yeah. And sticky <laughs> sticky seatbelts because your sweets are falling on them. And things very like that. true, very true. I don't know what kind of idiot wouldn't agree with that. Um, my recommendation uh, is because I've been listening to this album non-stop since you told me about Big Star mm. about two weeks ago uh, I'm going to say number one record okay just because I was just non-stop absolute non-stop uh, is the only thing on my you know, you know Spotify says heavy on your heavy rotation the only thing that's up in my heavy rotation is number one record right really yeah that's quite a feat 
That's a very impressive feat. Not even stuff that was on your heavy rotation before that. No, no. That's a bit. Do you prefer number one record to Radio City? Um, no, I don't think I do. But I'm just I'm recommending. You to make one of yeah. Okay. Fair. Okay. Right. That that's good. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, want, didn't want to fall out with you. No, I'm going. I'm going. Um, in order. Yeah. Kind of first put. Yeah. Fair. I've just no, I've just mm. become obsessed with, with the album for for now. No, the album mm. it's a fantastic album. Top tracks on it. Um, Battle of El Godo. Of course. Fucking brilliant. Is it Battle of El Godo? The battle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the battle for El Godo. Yeah. The, <laughs> the last Lord of the Rings chapter. <laughs> Um, and obviously thirteen and the, yeah, the biggins. You like mm. you like the hits. Yes. Uh, yeah. I don't think less of you. I just think differently of you. Right. Your album. Of- yes, my recommendation uh, will be the album, the twenty twelve album, Twins by Ty Siegel. So this is. This could be the first mention of something from this century. It could be. No, I can. I did. Never miss a beat. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, com- echo, yeah. I'm kind of combining here um, something that I people who know me would really readily associate with me, and it's become quite a cliched thing for me to say and be interested in with uh, bringing up an era and invoking an album from a time and place. I don't really talk about that often. Twenty twelve, and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah the album Twins with Ty Siegel. It's an absolutely fantastic album. I think Ty is a a, a genuine genuine. Uh, Garrett Rock, uh, no behemoth. Yeah, you know. Yes, uh, yes. I'm gonna steal that. Ty, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> 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 no, um, Ty Siegel is a yeah a genuine behemoth of Garrett Rock. He, oh, he did. Uh, like, he full on stole the word. Go I again, did steal it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ty is a towering presence in the world of Garage Rock, and he's also become a towering presence in uh, the kind of part of my brain that's full of people I respect. And uh, and whose production and musical skills I greatly admire, and his uh, his use of fuzz, uh, and the huge dynamic range that can be evoked within garage rock stylings and uh, instrumentation, has really uh, revolutionised my way of thinking, and has really but it had a big impact on me. I think he's absolutely brilliant, and Twins is probably the best example of that. You've got a. Uh, Really like melodic kind of power poppy kind of songs. You've got like, uh, would you be my, would you be my love? Is a song I would urge people to check out if they want to just skim through it to see would they like it. Uh, you've got kind of really sinister, weird songs. Uh, you know the the, the track the, the the opening track of the album. Um, it begins on a very kind of you know grim foreboding, uh, foreboding, a grim forbidding. Foreboding? Foreboding. It's a word. Yeah, not forbidding. Yeah. I, 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 it opens, the album opens on a really kind of grim, forbidding note. Uh, foreboding! You said forbidding ah, again. Sorry. Foreboding is a word. <laughs> You've made me feel weird about it now. Let me check. Foreboding. 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 That's the word. That's the word. I keep saying... A feeling that something I, bad will happen I keep and doing, it just did. Uh, yeah, I keep dropping <laughs> the G and putting an apostrophe in there, which makes it sound like a different word. Because you're just like, that sort of a jive cat. I'm talking in 1920s jazz style. That's my problem. Be careful or I'm going to punch you in your turkey neck. Yeah. <laughs> Other words, uh, apprehension, anxiety, trepidation, disquiet. That's okay. Word. Disquietude. Uh, perturbation. Mm. Perturbation. Perturbation, yeah. Were you perturbating in there? No! Close the door! <laughs> the album, so the album runs the gamut, basically, from uh, kind of like dark, uh, sinister sounding, psychedelic sort of songs to kind of like sort of grungy songs to lo-fi, power poppy, uh, crunching tracks. You've got some full-blown, full frontal punk in your face. 
you've got full punk you've got yeah you've full blown uh, band wig outs going 90 miles an hour but you've also got some really like kind of peaceful melodic moments uh, you've got some ethereal female voices which sound nice and unnerving um, and all the while knitted together by some of the uh, nastiest but most uh, pleasingly orgasmic fuzz tones I could possibly uh, imagine a lot of big kind of glam influence going on as well in places. Brilliant. That was Have I Got Tunes For You. That concludes episode three, as I said at the top of the show, of the parting shot of the opening salvo of the HFU. After this, you're going to have to wait a month uh, for every new episode. Uh, this has been Peter. This has been Ross. This has been Evan. Uh, reminding you to be rooting. Be tooting. And be shooting. But most importantly, be, be kind. kind. At the top of your feet.